What's happening, guys? Will Freeman, RevolutionaryLifestyleDesign.com. Coming at you today with the man, the myth, the legend, Phil Hawksworth from PhilHawksworth.com. What's happening, Phil? What's up? Phil is back from Chiang Mai after gallivanting around Southeast Asia. Phil is a guy in his late 20s making a lot of money doing fitness marketing. But his original business was also a fitness business where he was a personal trainer in London making six figures, or the UK equivalent of six figures American. And we're going to talk today a little bit about how Phil got started in personal training, how he scaled up to six figures, and how you can reproduce Phil's success if you choose to go into personal training. So, Phil, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, sort of where you grew up, like the small town in London, and kind of what made you decide to go to London, to the big city, um, and to sort of become a success there, because that takes a certain kind of mentality. I grew up in like a small industrial working class town, right. um, very little going on, basically like 30, 40% of the population working in steel works. Fuck. Um, and yeah, there's basically, if you're from there, you either go to university and leave or you get a job that you can have for the rest of your life and settle down at 20 and get a mortgage and have kids. So your dad and your uncle and everyone is mostly working in a factory or working in a steel plant. My dad has had the same job since he was 16 years old. Fuck. And he's now nearly 60. So you obviously didn't want that for yourself. No. Um... Since quite a young age, I was kind of, I knew I didn't quite fit in. I didn't necessarily like know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do. So you were, did you find that you were smarter than most of the people that you grew up with? Or you had different interests? Um, I definitely like more free thinking. Like I think I have a natural like, uh, right. You know, I naturally tend away from the norm. Yeah. You look I, like a saga hooligan, but... You're, I don't know you're, that I'm not intelligent, to be quite honest. No, you're a smart guy. You're smart like, guy. I'm a smart guy, but I'm like, as a kid, I wasn't that naturally gifted. I'm smart now because I spent 10 years doing shit and reading that other people right. have done fuck all. Right. I don't think I'm naturally that intelligent. Okay. Well, you're, you know, you're being modest. <laughs> Phil's a smart guy. Um... <laughs> He recognized that early on, and and so what gave you? Did you know you were going to be a personal trainer before you moved to London, or did you just fucking do it? So I left my crappy little industrial town, went off to university. Um, I studied in sports science, okay, more than anything, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and that was the only thing I enjoyed at school, right? Uh, and then at some point there, sort of halfway through, I figured out that personal training was what I wanted to do. Okay, um, so I didn't finish uni and decided I'll go get my certification and then moved down to London. Right. Pretty much like most entrepreneurs or like many entrepreneurs, you dropped out of university when you realized it was a fucking waste of time and you were just accumulating debts. Hmm. And so you decided to get into personal training and take me to like the exact start. Like you got your certification, right? Was that the first thing you did? Okay. And what did that cost? Um, a couple hundred pounds or something. Which was it? I actually did. Um, it was an intensive six week course. So I went out to Spain and did it. And okay. It was like um, forty hours a week. Okay. Living so kind of thing. So it was. You did a proper course, which is like probably not what most personal trainers go through. 
usually it's like a weekend course. Uh, at the time in the UK, we actually had a lot more stringent um, qualification rules than what you have in the US. Yeah, I mean, we have like... Now it's slapped off quite a lot. Right. In in Canada, it's like to be a trainer at one of the gyms, you go to the good life, they give you like a weekend course, you're certified. <laughs> and you've got half the fucking trainers there are overweight or like tiny girls trying to teach a grown man how to put on muscle. Like half the trainers are like cute little girls trying to... And they got the guy walking up and down... Um, doing crunches on a BOSU ball, like just embarrassing himself, trying to like help this guy put on muscle. And it's, it's ridiculous. I think that like the standards of that industry are fucking terrible, but you obviously like you're in good shape and you took the course. I want to hear about, did you start off at a gym or did you go right into your own business? Um, well, both. So I don't know quite how the industry works in North America, but in the UK, the majority of the the big chain gyms, they you're self-employed, you pay them rent, right? Uh, but you have access to their membership base, right? So they have a couple of thousand people who are their members. They're on the gym floor, and basically that's where you can start. Off. You can pick up clients, but you are paying them like a flat flat rate rent every month. So how long did you stay at the gym? Uh, at that gym, I was there for about three. Three years, three and a half years. Three and a half years. So you were just, were you, now were you one of the better um, salesmen there? Were you one of the more profitable trainers? So the first year, I was I was 20 years old. I had no real idea what I was doing. Right. Um, so no, definitely not. And the first year was hard. Okay. Once I'd figured out what I was doing, yeah. So what made you, like, what did you figure out? What what got you from being a, a bad personal trainer to a guy who's bringing in money? Because most personal trainers don't make very much money at all. No, they don't. Um, obviously, you develop as as an actual trainer as you know the art of doing the exercise. You get better at that just with experience and learning and courses and everything. Right. Um, the other side of it, which you basically don't get taught anything about, is the fact that you are actually self employed. Right. So you are responsible for running a business, not just turning up to train people there's more to it than that so, so did you start like aggressively selling people in the gym were you like walking up to people and, and putting your sales pitch together yeah it's pretty much if you haven't got enough money coming in that's what you do because you haven't got much choice and right. like fear and scarcity can make you get off your ass and do it but I've never met anyone who enjoys doing that no um, one enjoys selling no one enjoys cold calling no one enjoys face to face door knocking but it's just what you have to do to build up that fucking service business yeah it's it's probably a good thing to do though because it you get comfortable at toughens you having the awkward up. conversations yeah, and definitely. I mean that applies to sales it also helps you with girls too like after I came out of sales I mean I didn't give when I'm pitching CEOs in the bathroom at a conference I didn't give a fuck about walking up to a girl on the street because right? you just get so desensitized to that rejection. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Once I, um, once I got good at sales, like women was just easy because it's the exact same thing. And Phil's also one of the few guys I met who's actually really good with women. And he his site is basically mostly fitness. That he gets more girls than probably the majority of the professional PUAs and almost all the red pill bloggers. And most of the guys that I've met who are good with women, myself included, not that I'm the best or anything like that, but like most of the guys I've, I've met who are good with women have been through some kind of sales training. It just amplifies the fuck out of um, 
because picking up women is just, is is selling. You're selling the idea of sex. You're selling a relationship. Whatever you're selling, and just not giving a fuck about rejection is is a big important thing. So okay, so year one you were shit. Year two to three you started walking up to people and selling them. And how much money were you making by the end of? So you 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 were there three and a half years before you left. Like what what kind of uh, income did you have? So like I was walking up to people and selling in the first year as well. It was actually the second and third year where I stopped doing that as much because I first of all had a decent client base. Okay. But secondly, I also figured out marketing as well. So I'd start collecting email addresses and emailing them and stuff like that. So I was actually building, um, getting clients through basically online marketing with an email list and stuff, which then made the conversations that I was having on the gym floor so much easier because it's just go up and like, hey, you know, chat for a couple of minutes. Do you want a free copy of my shit little ebook or do you want a free workout plan? Ah. Give me your email address. Oh, so you were actually, you were doing face-to-face sales and then leveraging that into internet marketing. So you get the guys, instead of pitching him on the services right there, you just get his email list and then pitch him on that. Yeah. As time went on. And... What kind of an automator were you running? So, like, how many how many touch points were you having once you got the guy's email list? Um, then, how many touch points were you having when you sent the guy the email? Um, it changed a lot. Like, for a while, I was just get the email and just send a broadcast email like once a week. Right. After a while, I built out like a thirty day every day autoresponder. Um, to be honest, I, I was quite, I sort of knew what I was doing, but not really. Right. So I wasn't that aware of sort of the data and what it meant and what was working and what wasn't. I just knew that overall it was working. Was that working better than just the face-to-face approach? Yeah, it was. It's That's interesting. It's, does it work better? Like if you put the time in, face-to-face is probably more, not more efficient, but it's quicker. Yeah. Um, but it's hard, right? It's it's tiring, it's draining, right? Um, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. And also, like the nature of where I worked, I worked in the city in city of London, where all the bankers are. People come to the gym at very specific times. They come f- from like seven until eight a.m. Right, and then they come f- for their lunch hour, and then they come from like six to eight p.m. And that's right. it. The rest of the time, the place is a ghost town. Really. So once you've got a few clients, you're busy in all those times because that's the time that everyone wants to train. Right. And you don't have any time to speak to people. Right. The only time you're free is at like 3 p.m. or 10 a.m. when there's absolutely nobody in the gym. Okay. So you're kind of forced to like, you either hit a, a soft ceiling if there's just no, you can't talk to anyone because you're physically training someone at the, right, at the time. Sure. Or you have to, you know, communicate with people a different way, like through the email list. Right, so the email freed up your time from having to sell so that you could just get the guy's email list real quick and then sell him anytime. Yeah. Instead of spending your prime training time selling, you can just grab the email list and then you know hit him anytime. Yeah, I, I don't even like stick posters up on reception and stuff and get people to leave their name and email right. to receive something, whatever. Um, sometimes, sometimes I do like uh, set up like two or three hours of doing like body fat testing to get people in, right. test their body fat, tell them how fat they are, right. take their email address, offer them a complimentary session if they want to come and 
That's smart. That's, that's a smart angle. Now, did that get you making more money than most of the guys in your gym? Yeah. Right. Because they weren't fucking around with the emails or anything like that at all. No. Like, uh, just a bunch of, like, meatheads just fucking going at them, like, get in there. Get in the... <laughs> Get this package right now. There's a few sort of archetypes of personal trainers. Like there's the the real outgoing extrovert who picks clients up just because they're people like being around them and they don't really have to do anything other than just be themselves. Right. Then there's the sort of um, people who work like you know talk to people religiously, but they're just banging their head against the wall because they don't really know what they're doing. Right. And then there's people who are shy and don't do fuck all and then they don't stay very long. Right. Now, would you say would you say that you would be naturally shy or kind of an introverted guy? I'm definitely introverted. Right. Um, I definitely used to be shy. I think that going through that beat shyness out of me, I'm not shy now. And I think also what's, what's an important takeaway for the guys listening is that you can still make money in sales or in this particular line if you're maybe not the most extroverted guy when you sell smart. Right, so you've you've leveraged your intelligence. Okay, maybe you're not the, the super extroverted guy who loves selling, but you're smart enough to be like, okay, you know, what's the better angle? I'm gonna get their email address. I'm gonna open up all my training time, and then I'm gonna hit them like that. Right. Personally, I think introverts are better salespeople. They're not not better at cold calling because it drains their energy too much. Right. But at high ticket selling, I think they're better because they listen. Yeah. Whereas extroverts want to ram everything down your throat. Introverts want you to talk. Right. And people want to, you know, if you get people talking about their problems and telling you how shit their life is because they're overweight. Right. It's much easier to sell to them than it is just trying to shout at them. A hundred percent. And I've found the same thing in sales. Like the best salesman or the way that I always had the most success was, Asking the questions, you want the ratio to be like 80%, 20% where they're talking. And, that's, and that goes for girls too. On, on dates, I want to get the girl to open up. I want to, if she's talking about herself, she gets comfortable. If the client's talking about themselves, they get comfortable. And they feel like they have a connection with you. When you're just fucking yammering at them, they're, they're like, when's this guy going to stop talking so I can leave? That's what they're thinking. Yeah. When's this guy going to stop talking so there's a break in the conversation I can politely get away from him? People that are real natural extroverts tend to have like quite a magnetic personality and they can get away with it. Right. It's people who are not naturally like that but think that's how you sell or think that's how you get girls. Right. Same, same matter. But right. It, they're, they're, they're talking all the time because they're uncomfortable and because they don't like silence and they don't like awkward pauses and they don't, they're not confident if they're not trying to lead the conversation. Right. So I think. If you are that like super extroverted person, naturally it's okay. But if you're not, don't try to be. Right. I think that's a great point. Hundred percent. So, um, what? Let me ask you this before we get into when you branched out on your own. Okay, your first year, you're a bit shy. You're new to London. I imagine you're you're 20 years old. I would probably be a bit scared about rent. About did I make the right decision? Um, you know, it's it's going slowly. I'm, I'm uncomfortable a bit with selling. I was uncomfortable when I started selling. What were the strategies that you were using in your head to get through that and not just to survive, but to survive and then eventually thrive? What what was going through your head that separated you from perhaps someone else who would be in your shoes? I, I never really questioned my decision. I was, even though it was hard and everyone else flat broke, it never felt like I'd made the wrong decision. I was much happier just fucking grinding my ass off to eat. 
Why was then why, it would have been why why otherwise. did you never question it? Why did you know it was the right decision? I don't know. Was I, be- I just knew that I was happy. Right. Even when I was working stupidly long hours trying to scrounge some money together to eat. Was it because at least you weren't working in a fucking steel mill? I, I think so. Probably. Right. Right. At least partly I, I felt free. I think that's such a huge thing is I don't think guys really succeed into in business when they realize they until they realize they have nothing to lose until you realize that working a job and working a shitty job is not something to lose because it's just so terrible. I saw so many guys in corporate sales that would talk about I want to start a business, I want to do this, but you know, I have the job and I have the mortgage it's not until you realize like I I hate doing those things. I hate that other option that this is the only option, right? Okay, so, think, sorry, so yeah, on that ahead. point, I think I had the advantage as well that because I was young, I'd never had a job. I'd never got used to having money. I'd never started accumulating possessions and things on credit and right. you know, mortgages and cars on credit and girlfriends. Girlfriends on credit. <laughs> this is a fucking big thing because a lot of guys, most guys, if you don't get out by 30, you don't get out. Yeah. I but think e- even like, People in their twenties as well. It's, yeah, they might not rack up the responsibilities of mortgages and stuff, but they like the money. Right. To go from being like, you know, partying it up, going out every weekend, having big nights out, holidays to Ibiza and Vegas and everything like that. Yeah. People that are twenty five don't want to give that up. Right. Like right. It, it's hard to even just to get away from that. Just you know, you've got used to having money. Right. It's hard to then move away and start from nothing. A hundred percent. I mean, my advice, especially if you're young guys, is there's no there's no time too soon enough to go into your own business. There's no time. There's no like I don't care if you're 18. The sooner you do it, the better. The less time you have in that corporate system, because that corporate system is a brainwashing system. It's also a system where you get hooked on the toys. I would see guys buy two thousand dollar suits. They're complaining about money. They're complaining about this and that. Then they go out and buy a two thousand dollar suit, a two thousand dollar TV. It's like that's never getting out, never getting out. Or, or you know, they take they make two hundred thousand dollars a year, but then they spend forty thousand dollars on renovating the house, and they're just hooked on that money, and I, they never get out. I would say that a lot um, because I was in the city. So the people around me, traders and stockbrokers and stuff, that's a young man's game. Yeah. Um, but nobody likes it. They earn a lot of money, but they're so stressed and they work so so many hours. Yeah. It's like. The reason they like cocaine so much is because it props them up so they don't fucking die. Yeah, man. It's hard. I was a pro trader in my early 20s and it was I smoked a pack and a half a day at 22. And the stress was insane and we'd be at the bar at 3 o'clock every day. Making 400 trades a day, trying not to lose. You know, every trade you can lose like 10 grand. It's, in, it's insane. There was no one in our office over 30. But again, the money. And a lot of guys get hooked on that money. Yeah. But the best way to do it is to get into your own business as soon as possible and get that money working for you, which is what you eventually did. So three and a half years in, okay, now how much money were you making? Well, you Before you left the gym, how much money were you making, would you say? Um, <clears throat> Just an approximate. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I was probably doing about 40 to 45,000 pounds, which in the US would be about, at the time... Would probably be in 70 to 80. 70 to 80. So you're doing quite well. Um, but I was also finished work at 2 p.m. every day. Not bad. Uh, four days a week. 
not bad at all. And this is while you were still at the gym. So while you were still at the gym, you were probably the topper, one of the top earners in the gym, would you say? Yeah. Okay. And then you decided, I've got enough clients. I'm just going to peel my clients out of here and go out on my own. Yeah. Basically, um, <clears throat> there was like an explosion of people opening private studios in London. London is the hardest place in the world to have a business that needs a building because it's so expensive to rent there. Right. Um, every gym in London is in a pokey little basement. It's disgusting. <laughs> That's the only place you can afford. Okay. Because it is like pricing in London is so outrageous. Insane, yeah. So there was very few um, like private studios because, you know, there's not big warehouses where you can set up a beautiful gym and there's not, no one can afford to get like a nice, um, you know, a nice room above right. the ground that just is a bit fancy. Sure. So there was suddenly an explosion of places opening up. They're all in basements and they're all kind of dingy and small, but it's better than a corporate gym because a corporate gym is still a corporation, like we're all saying. It's still the same environment, essentially. Right. So you transitioned your clients into one of the, into those smaller gyms? Yeah. And then when you were at the smaller gym, you weren't responsible. You didn't have to pay up to the, to the gym owner. You could keep it or did you have to pay them a percentage? Uh, you pay rent. You pay rent. Yeah. But it wasn't the same, you weren't paying the same percentage as if you were in the corporate gym. Um, the rent was slightly cheaper, but only slightly. Um, so basically, like, what you get is a much nicer space and uh, better equipment and privacy and no people in the way. Right. And what you don't get is a, a membership base to sell to. Right. So, it's, um, so on that point, from a business perspective, like starting off in a corporate gym is probably a good idea. Right. Because it's the easiest place to get clients. Right. Because if you're out on your own, you're not a personal trainer, you're a marketer. Because until you've got any clients, you've got no one to train. Right. And you've got no one you have to train for free because there's no one walking around for you to go, hey, do you want a free session? Sure. You've literally just got to get on the internet and market. So unless you already know how to do marketing, I would suggest starting a corporate gym where there's access to people. Now, did you ever have clients where you could train them in there? Because in Canada, a ton of buildings have like a nice gym. So you could like pull them out of the corporate. Because uh, I would always see people in my building with a trainer. Um, I think that might be another option to You can also train them within their actual building, right? Did you have any of those clients or you were all taking them to that gym? Um, most of the places, most of the big companies have gyms but they have their own trainers and they don't let other people come in right um so and in the city nobody lives there it's kind of a ghost town it's just lots of big tall buildings that are banks and law firms ah uh, so like you can't just you can't go to someone's building because they don't live in london the city no i see i see i see so for the guys listening um there's definitely a different option if you if you're living somewhere perhaps outside of london because there's tons of personal trainers who would go to the client's building in Toronto, where I used to live, pretty much every nice building had a nice gym where you could perhaps pull the clients out of and train them there without paying rent. But Phil had a nice a nice workaround there. And so after you got out, how long did you do it on your own? Um, after you got out of the corporate gym? So I, throughout this whole period, I've been trying to build some sort of business that would allow me to do what I'm doing now. Right. So I wanted to travel um, and not be... Um, not be accountable to being a certain place at a certain time. Did you did you give it like a couple of years once you got out? Uh, training on your own? Um, so I, I was 
while I was still at the corporate gym, I had a, another business that's what I was doing with my afternoons. I wasn't working. Right. I was working. I wasn't working with clients. Um, trying to build a business there, which ended up failing sort of after about two years yeah. of being in the private gym. Okay. Um, like most, like most first businesses do, especially if they're not service businesses. Yeah, it was it was a quasi service business. It was basically a boot camp business. Right. We started off, and it was super easy for us to find clients, and we were making quite a bit of money from it. Right. Um, the the intention was for it to scale, and for me to exit was to franchise it out to other personal trainers. Right. And that's when it all fell apart. Yeah. So, like, I kept doing it myself because it was a nice little earner right the hourly wage was better than it was working with one client right but it was never giving me what I actually wanted which was the freedom so uh take me through like okay at the height of your income how how high would you say you got up to um i don't know most of that the money from that went all yeah can't speak the money from that all went back into the business so i never really took any out can you say we got you got close to six figures by the end, close to American six figures? Tur- turnover, certainly, yeah. Okay, we were just spanking all of our money on stupid shit. Right. So take so you're making six figures or close to six figures, and now what did your average day look like? Did, was that did that continue on where you were only working four days a week till and cutting off at two p.m.? No, as soon as I left the corporate gym, my I slowly started slipping back into. Uh, working every day and working sort of mornings and evenings. Is that because you were making more money? It's because people had to travel to this new gym. Right. And it made the timings a bit harder because right. where I was before was literally like in is in a a little complex with like five huge banks and stuff around it. Sure. So most of my clients were essentially in the same building. Right. So it's easy for them to pop out for an hour. Now I was I was only like ten minutes away, but ten minutes there, ten minutes back is enough for it to be a bit of a hassle for them so were you making more money when you moved out when you moved out to the different gym or were you making less I was making more money for a few months um, my rent was cheap and I took a couple of new clients when I left right but then basically I was I went all in on the other business okay for, but forgetting about the other business was it the right move to, to go out to the other gym and start making more money there it's the right move if it's what you want to do okay like for me, the corporate gym got very claustrophobic and I had enough of the politics of it being a corporate gym. Because you had a lot more, um, you know, the manager telling you what to do and things like that. Yeah, like they have, the managers don't give a shit about the personal trainers or the members. They just right. care about their targets. Right. And they pretty much expect you to do stuff for them even though you're not employed by them which is the worst thing about a sales job for those of you guys who haven't had a sales job is your motherfucking targets okay you're thinking about your targets in the shower you're thinking about your targets with a girl you're thinking about targets 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 the first thing when you're starting in sales the scariest thing is doing cold calls and approaching clients but you get used to that pretty quick but then it just becomes your whole month revolves around hitting that fucking target 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 which is why Phil wants to get out, which is why every salesman wants to get out. Every single salesman in the world wants to get out of sales. He either wants to move up into management or he wants to get out and start his own business. Except they, most of them just talk about it. They don't actually do it. And then they end up still in sales to your 40. Do not ever fucking let that happen to you. Okay, do not be in sales by the time you're 40. If you read my book, 
how to sell, which you can find at revolutionarylifestyledesign.com slash how to sell. There's me always selling with that shameless plug. I give you the breakdown of like, you should be in sales for like one to three years like Phil was and then branch out on your own, ideally with a business based on the skills that you have, whether it's personal training, whether it's real estate, whether it's insurance, um, could be copywriting, could be programming. Ideally, you train on someone else's dime, you build up clients. If you can move your clients out, then do that. If, if you're bound by a contract where you can't move your clients out, then, then you just go and do your own thing. But you do not want to be in a fucking corporate sales job for a long period of time because it's a nightmare. So you moved out to the private gym to your own thing. Um, and how long did you do that for privately? Uh, about two and a half years. Two and a half years. So overall, you did three and a half years in the corporate gym and then two and a half years on your own. And you were making a bit more on your own, a fair bit, uh, you know, a bit more. And you had the freedom to do what you want and not live on your targets, correct? Yeah, they say one targets so much. Like They don't give me targets because I'm working for them, but it's the clash of culture between a corporation and a small business. Yeah. So like they make you wear their uniform and they make you like <laughs> yeah. just, you know, follow their rules. Hi, I'm Philip Hawksworth. Would you like to train with me today? Yeah, basically they're trying to get you to promote their brand. Yeah, right. Which... You know, if you like marketing 101 is don't be a fucking commodity, like differentiate yourself. It's very hard to differentiate yourself when you're wearing the same uniform as the 25 <laughs> other Muppets in there. Yeah, yeah like, man. You know, you don't have a brand or any way of differentiating yourself. So you kind of... Right. You, you're immediately just in competition with everyone else. 100%. And we you can't a, really charge more because you're just commoditized. 100%. We, in our office... Any guy who had made a sale had to go ring the bell when he made a sale, like Pavlov's dog conditioning. Now, when you ring the bell, it's not for you. It's so the other guys can hear you made a sale and they can get jealous and think, fuck, man, Will made a sale. I got to catch up to him. And I would refuse to ring the bell. And, and they actually brought me into a meeting and said, you had to ring the bell. <laughs> and I said, why? It's just, to sh- it's just to shit on the other guys. And they're like, hey, you're not following. You got to follow the procedure here. Are you a team player? Fucking Christ, I don't miss those days. So anyways, so you were about three and a half years in, corporate gym, two and a half years on your own, about six years overall, and then you transitioned into fitness marketing services, which we're going to do a whole other podcast on that, because that's what got you free to um, travel out to Thailand, travel all over South uh, Southeast Asia, travel wherever the fuck you want to, basically, um, and you liberated your time. And your next move is is sort of productizing that knowledge, right? And doing uh, fitness products and and things like that. Yeah, I'm getting back into um, doing my own fitness stuff. So when I left, I was I've been trying to get out for so long. Yeah, that I was just really burnt out on it. Yeah, and I I just I found it boring. I, I mean, yeah, like every talk about fitness anymore. Of course, every sales job you get burnt out. So you always you always want to be moving up to like the next level, the, to edging up to the next level, or to be able to outsource your cold calls or whatever the fuck your headaches are. Um, and just every year to be able to level up, either monetarily wise or in terms of outsourcing your fucking headaches, which I try and do every year. And I think you've done a good job. And we're going to talk about your fitness marketing. Um, in the next podcast and how you sort of liberated yourself from 
you know, having to be tied down anywhere. And the one, the one thing that you always told me was you didn't like having a diary or a schedule. You hated, you hated having the schedule of you have to be here at 2 p.m. and, and, and 3 p.m. stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you notice when I came out here, I was having six on the dot because that is so conditioned to my brain right. from living off a diary hour to hour of being there at the right time every hour. Right. That it's so second nature to me that I'm like perfectly on time without even, I don't even need to look at the clock. I just have like an internal sense of how yeah. long an hour is. Yeah, exactly. And I'm the same way from all those fucking meetings and everything. I was very happy to have a business where I didn't have to, you know, have a schedule where I can just do what I want, not have to look at emails. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but, but, but that's a luxury. And that's a luxury that Phil and I have built from going through that fucking grind. Um, you know, I saved a lot of cash from sales. Phil saved a lot of cash. He moved into a training business by himself. He leveraged that to fitness marketing skills, which he took online. And then he, he's in the process of productizing that. And he's going to sell books and courses and stuff like that around, around it, which we're going to talk about in another podcast. But to wrap up here... I just want to give a quick summary for the guys. So let's say you're 18 and you live in a small shitty town and you don't like your lifestyle and you want to be in personal training. You got to move to the big city because there's no money in these small towns. You move to the big city, you get a job at a corporate gym where pretty much no one else is good at sales and no one else is hustling. And you go in there and you hustle and you approach every client for the first six months. You get the email drop down the email marketing and you build up that recurring revenue. And so in your prime time training slots, instead of having to approach clients, you can just train and you sell hard for the next couple of years. And then you eventually steal those clients away from your corporate gym because your corporate gym does not give a fuck about you and will most likely not treat you very well. Just like in every sales job that I've ever had, they treat their salesmen like garbage. Bring them away. You start your, um, you bring them away to another gym or in my experience, and if you're in North America, you can train them in their house um, or in their apartment complex. And you scale up from there and you grind hard and pretty much every successful personal trainer, in my opinion, can make six figures um, doing that if you hustle. And I mean, that's it. I mean, do you have anything else to say to the boys? Any other words of wisdom that you can drop on these guys? I think to make this um, relevant to anyone, not just people in fitness, like sure. whatever business you're in, you're in sales and marketing. 100%. It don't matter what you do, if you're self-employed or you own a business, you have to sell something to somebody. Correct. So you have to know sales and marketing. Correct. Don't care if you don't like it or if it feels uncomfortable and icky. Yep. Nothing happens until you make a sale. Yep. So like whatever, you know, like I, I would come home and religiously read about training and diet and everything to learn how to get results with clients. But I'd be doing the same thing about marketing and selling as well. Right. Because without knowing how to market and sell, how many clients to get with results with it anyway. Right. I think that's what separated you from most people is like you just were you kept being a student of the game and pushing it forward. You don't have to be a fucking genius to succeed in this stuff. You just have to you have to apply that focus to learning the fuck out of your industry and then learning the fuck out of sales and marketing and just applying those strategies. When you do that, any guy can make fucking six figures in sales or in his in his own 
uh, service business. And I don't care who it is. And you don't need a fucking Zuckerberg IQ. And you guy can do that. So, again, the man is philhawksworth.com. He's actually got a great site on fitness. Um, it got a ton of useful information on there. It's going to be doing a lot more in the future as he starts to ramp that up. And as always, I hope this was useful. I want to thank you for listening to this on YouTube or listening to this on um, SoundCloud or iTunes or checking it out on my website, revolutionarylifestyledesign.com, just all over your fucking internets. And I want to thank you for listening. And as always, I wish you all the best in your personal development journey.